Hello, everyone, and welcome to the very first episode of the ADRA Canada podcast. My name is Frank Spangler, and I'll be your host for this podcast series. All of us here at ADRA are very excited about the launch of this podcast because it gives us an opportunity to have you meet some of the wonderful people that work here at ADRA and have them share with you some exciting stories from the field. With me here today for our very first episode are three very lovely people who work here at ADRA. Let's maybe go around the table and have them introduce themselves. Tell us who you are and uh, what you do here at ADRA Canada. My name is Heather Gerbic, and I work at ADRA Canada as the engagement coordinator. Uh, some people think that means that I'm a matchmaker like Yenta, but I'm not. Um, basically, I just write a lot of stories, do a lot of presentations, reach out to churches and schools and pathfinders, and just share the work of ADRA with as many people as I possibly can. And I've been at ADRA for almost four years now. Wow. I can't believe it. Time flies when yeah. you're having fun. Well, it sounds like you have a great job. Who else do we have here today? Uh, my name is Michael Kirkby. I'm the Design and Communications Coordinator at ADRA Canada. I've been at ADRA now, well, it'll be four years, January 1st. So if this podcast is going out after January 1st, and I've been here for four years. Nice. Okay. So my name is Kayla Casey, and I've been here at ADRA for about seven months now. I can't Ooh. believe it's been that long. It's crazy. <laughs> Um, I started off as an intern, and I guess my title has kind of still been an intern, but I do a lot of social media and web page design and things like that. That's great. Okay, so what is ADRA? Uh, maybe we should start with that, because there may be some people who have never heard of ADRA before, and uh, we should know. ADRA, or what is the other one that people have? ADRA, ADRA. or ADRA? ADRA. ADRA. Yes. <laughs> yeah. We get ADRA all the time. And ADRA, of course, stands for Adventist Disaster and Relief Agency. That's the answer we usually get when we ask people, what does ADRA stand for? Yeah, ADRA, Disaster and Relief. But the D actually stands for something else. Development. Yeah. yeah. But what is that? <laughs> disaster is a little easier to understand, but development is a big word to unpack. Yes. Development is a word that can have so many different meanings, like it can be the development that's happening across the street uh, where new houses are going up. You know, that's the new development. But this is uh, really helping people who are in need. That's what ADRA is all about, really, is helping people who are suffering and in need around the world. All right, our little transition music tells us that it is time for our main feature. For each episode of the podcast, we are going to bring in someone from our office who has just returned from the field, from one of our project sites. And today, we're going to hear from Michael, who has just returned from a whirlwind trip to Africa. Michael, tell us where you went and uh, what did you see? Yes. So I just uh, spent a week in Uganda recently. Um, and while I was there, I, I traveled up to our projects in the north part of the country. We are currently working in two refugee settlements. They're, they're not called refugee camps. They're called refugee settlements because they are the, the refugees are expected to be living there long term. Uganda is an interesting country in that they are very welcoming to refugees. They they provide refugees with their own plots of land so that they can build their own homes as well as plant their own gardens. And because everybody's getting their own plots of land, these, these camps, they stretch out 
for vast, vast areas. The largest camp that I visited is called the Bitty Bitty Refugee Settlement, and it uh, currently has 270,000 people living in it. Wow. We also um, are working in another camp called Imvepe, and that one has, oh, I want to say 150,000 people, if I'm remembering correctly. So these are essentially cities of people that weren't living where they're currently living just two years ago. So they're very new cities, um, and they're very sparsely developed cities. So what Adra Canada, or Adra Uganda, rather, is doing in these camps is a lot of uh, water water sanitation, hygiene, um, as well as protection. So where'd all these people come from? Um, these people, uh, they came from South Sudan. So since the country was created uh, just a few short years ago, it's been embroiled in, in civil war, and it uh, really escalated in the last two years. And so millions of people have been, have been fleeing South Sudan, and a lot of them have been running into Uganda. The At, at its peak, the... The number of people running into Uganda, I, I believe, was twenty-five thousand a day. Yeah, and it's over a million people right now. Yeah, in in Uganda, yeah. just from South Sudan, if yeah. if I'm not mistaken. The work that Adra is doing there currently, uh, we have been installing water wells, so boreholes. We've uh, installed a number of boreholes in the two camps, as well as the host community, because a lot of these communities that people have moved into, they were. They were underdeveloped to begin with, and now there's hundreds of thousands of people that have moved into their region, and they they weren't receiving uh, water. But the the Uganda government has said that if we are there helping refugees, we have to help the, the local community as well. So we've been installing boreholes in some communities, um, as well as uh, rainwater harvesting systems on some schools in the camps. We're also installing latrines for people with uh, special needs. So whether they are handicapped in some way or elderly people or young mothers that uh, have a family that can't construct their own latrines on their property. Adra has installed latrines on on people's property. And then on the the protection side of uh, things, we are providing lighting in the camp because uh, the the camp because it's such a, a new a new area there's there's no no lighting there's no street lights it's not it's not a developed city like like you would find here in Canada so there's there's no lights it's very dark at night there was two or three nights we were out in the camp after dark and it was very dark if it wasn't for the the lights of our car or the headlamp i was wearing I, you wouldn't see so with all of those like of all those people in that city there's no lights at all no lights nothing no lights well now there is now, b- because yeah. um adra has been installing solar street lights oh, wow. um, so they're led street lights and they are very bright and it, that was actually one one cool thing that i i, I thought was uh, interesting is there's a few spots in in the bitty bitty camp where you can look out and you can see like a vista of the camp and it's pretty much pitch black but then there's these little specks of light all mm-hmm. around and those are the adra adra street lights so we were able to drive around to the different street lights and the life that is happening around these street lights is it's very incredible because they're usually at water points or near latrines so that people that are are going to get water or going to to the bathroom have have light there so that they can they can see around and and it's it's kind of turned the water points into a after an after hours hangout spot so a lot of people just they're social 
socializing, talking. We were driving through the camp and it was dark and we came around a corner and there was one of our streetlights and, and under the streetlight there was four little girls just dancing. Wow. Just mm-hmm. all by themselves, just dancing, just having a time of their lives, just being kids. And uh, I kicked myself because I was, I was so enraptured by the sight. I, I was just staring. Like it was one of those things where like it was just such a beautiful sight. I was just staring and mm-hmm. it wasn't and I until mean, a father of two daughters. Yeah, yeah. So that kind of it, it tugs at my heartstrings. But then <laughs> suddenly I'm like, wait, no, this would be excellent video footage. And so I told our driver to stop, but by the time I got out of the vehicle they had moved on to home or wherever it was that they were going. So I, I missed that, that, but I have the mental image in my yeah. head and it's it's always going to be something mm-hmm. that sticks there. So, And the, the streetlights are, they're bright. Like they, uh, here in, in Ontario, a lot of towns and, and cities are starting to install LED streetlights and they are just as bright as those LED streetlights mm-hmm. that you see here in, in Canada. And they last all night long. They have large solar panels on the top of them and so that they... Mm-hmm. They last from night till morning, um, so they have light the whole time. But they don't worry about the solar panels being stolen? I don't see how they would be stolen. They're large. Like, okay. somebody's not going to climb up there and just pop them off and take okay. them home. Okay. They're huge, huge solar panels. Well, probably difficult to climb up the pole, too, I imagine. That, yeah, I, I would think so. Yeah. Um, another thing that Adria is providing is solar lamps, so just small handheld lamps mm-hmm. that also turn into, like, a, a reading light. Like I said, it's dark, and so people are having to walk here and there or just around their, their homes in, in pitch darkness, and there's no electricity. So these solar lamps, they can charge them during the day, and then the light lasts all night, and they're very bright lights too. Mm. So it, it lights up a, a significant area around them. Um, and, and most of the people that I talked to that had received them, I asked them, like, what 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 does this mean having this light? And and the, their response was, uh, well, now I can see the scorpions and snakes when I'm going to the bathroom. So, oh, yes. so that's uh, it was understandable why they would be so yeah. appreciative of these lamps. So, Yeah, I can't imagine having to go, but worrying about stepping on a snake. Or a scorpion. Yeah. I would just hold it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just... So many, so many things that we don't think about here in Canada, and and these are these are very real issues for them, very real dangers for them. One person that I talked to, he he had been a farmer in South Sudan, and a few years ago, um, he had had an injury, and now his left leg was paralyzed, and he couldn't use it, and so he received a latrine and a solar lamp from Adra. Whereas before, he had to walk to the closest bush he could find, which mm. when I was at his home, he showed me where it was, and it was probably a solid half kilometer away from really? his house. Wow. And, and that's where he had to go um, mm-hmm. if, if he needed to relieve himself at night or any time during the day. And now he has a latrine within 20 yards of his house. And he's got a solar lamp so he can see if there's any snakes or scorpions on mm-hmm. the way to his latrine. And his family also has that latrine now too because mm-hmm. he had four, four young children and a wife and, and now they all have access to a, a clean latrine. And, mm-hmm. and it was very life-changing for them. So now they, they don't have to find... a a bush a half kilometer away to use they they have somewhere close by that they can go in relative comfort and safety mm-hmm. i've heard that uh, in many of these refugee camps or settlements that uh, it can be very dangerous for women to go for water for example uh, after dark mm-hmm. that the 
Yes, and and this is a, a problem that had been happening in these camps. Is uh, a lot of women had been attacked at night, and it uh, it had become quite an issue. And so now these lights um, are are at the water points or near latrines to serve as protection for women, so that they can go and get their water or go to the bathroom with the the knowledge that they can now see people can see them. And because it, it's become more of a social gathering uh, around the the lights, uh, so it, there's there's more people around. So it's not they have to walk into the dark into an isolated area that has no one around. Now there's people around. It's it's become a much mm-hmm. a much safer environment for for women discourages lurkers yeah yeah Yeah. so it was um the the lighting is it's a very i i think just just seeing it i think that was one of the most amazing things i i saw at the camp was just this these lights like something so simple as a Mm -hmm. street light can can really change so many lives not just the lives of one or two people but the lives of everybody living around that street light has improved because now they have a street light and Adra has plans to continue installing streetlights over the next uh, year or so. So it, it's it's just really cool to see mm-hmm. the, the lights. I've there. seen some of your photographs already. And I think what we're going to do is put some of those photographs up on our webpage so that people can go and see okay. what you're talking about. That would yeah. be awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And it, so, yeah, and people can see just how, how dark it is and then mm-hmm. how much light these streetlights are bringing to people. One other thing that ADRA is uh, doing at the camps is providing hygiene kits to girls and women. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how much I get to go into detail here. <laughs> well, I think it's sufficient <laughs> to say that girls and women have different hygiene needs right. than men. Yes. And these kits are providing for that. Yeah. Which, okay. as a woman, if I, I definitely take that for granted here mm-hmm. in Canada, having access to anything I could need. Mm-hmm. And when I started thinking about those girls and women in those camps and seeing some of their pictures as they were coming to our office, I can't imagine having to deal with that on a monthly basis and not having what you need to take care of it. So that's something I'm really proud of that Adra's mm-hmm. taking care of. Yeah. And on, on my last day there, I was, I was able to take part in a hygiene kit distribution. And so the, we, we got there and we had the, the hygiene kits and, and the hygiene kits that we were handing out that day consisted of some laundry soap and uh, some packs. Each girl got three packages of uh, sanitary pads. So I was able to, to be there. I was able to participate in the distribution, hand some out as well as call names. And the, the girls were all so excited when we got there. They were singing and dancing. And it's just something that a lot of people don't think about is that the dignity mm-hmm. that it gives people. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it gives them the the opportunity to live a more normal life i interviewed one girl and she told me that before she received the sanitary pads when it, the time of month came she couldn't go to school because she she had no way to keep herself from being embarrassed yeah from being embarrassed <laughs> so so it was it was life-changing for her in that way because now she can attend school doesn't matter what time of month it is she she can go to school and yes she was 17 years old and this is this is something that's allowing her to continue her education mm. before the we distributed the sanitary pads most of the the students were boys because the girls just stopped coming to school because they didn't have a way of of maintaining their dignity when that time of month came and so they would just stop coming to school and then they've missed so much like a week mm. of school and so they felt like they couldn't get caught back up so they would just stop coming to school altogether but now they have this opportunity to continue schooling crazy to think that sanitary pads can equal an education mm-hmm. yeah 
<laughs> yeah, like it, it's not it's not like we went there and built a school or distributed school supplies or books. We gave sanitary pads and and laundry soap. And, and <laughs> yeah. now girls and, are getting are able to actually continue consistently with getting an education. Yeah. I I love those things about our work. I kind of call them my word for them is collateral blessings where you know you, you do this one thing and the connection is clear to what that's supposed to be helping. But then when you step back and you look at the impact, you see all these wonderful spin-offs that maybe you didn't anticipate, but mm-hmm. they're still mm-hmm. a it's positive almost like, impact. Almost like, like a ripple effect. Yeah. Yeah. Thing, yeah. yeah. I know that the people out there are probably going to be interested in hearing some of the hardships that you might have had to go through on your yeah. journey. Well, <laughs> yes, my, my hardships. Yeah. Huh? So, uh, Uganda is a beautiful country. Let me preface with that. I, I love Uganda. I really enjoyed Uganda. Um, the, and the, before you go any further, would you go back? Oh, absolutely. Okay. I, would, I would love to go back to Uganda. It was, it was a, it's a very beautiful country. And of course, you, you can't expect to go to a country like this and, and receive all of the luxuries of the world. I was actually very happy because, Frank, you had went, uh, when was that, back in August? In February. In February. Yeah. And you, you had warned me that there are no guest houses near the camps. Right. Um, and so I was going, in my mind, I'm going to have squat toilets. I won't be able to shower for a week. This I will is what be, I had while I, I was there. Sleeping, <laughs> I will be sleeping on a mat. But when I got there, they had constructed a hotel. They said they'd constructed it in two weeks, or two months, sorry, two months, um, to construct this hotel. And So I you had, had a hotel? I had a hotel. Wonderful. I had a hotel with a bed. The, the bed was about as hard as this desk here. <laughs> But it was a bed. It got me off the ground. Um, it had a mosquito net, um, and I had a flush toilet. Wow! So that was a big deal for me <laughs> <laughs> because I, yeah, I don't know, squat toilets just aren't my thing. Um, you have to have good aim. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I also I I had a shower in my room. No no hot water. So I took nice cold showers. Um, the trick is taking the shower when you get back from the field in the evening because the sun has warmed warmed the water tank mm. during the day. So the water is not freezing. It's not freezing. Yeah, yeah. Because if you shower in the morning, then the water in the tank is cooled as I well as you're the, the cool water has come up from the ground overnight <laughs> and take a nice. It, it wakes you up. Yes. It wakes you up in the morning. But take it in the evening, and then you feel refreshed and ready for bed. Um, I did wake up a few times with mosquitoes inside my mosquito net, so I don't know how they got in there. They are very persistent, it seems. So I, I got home with a lot of mosquito bites, taking my malaria pills, but I forgot them. So I hope we pray, pr- we pray that <laughs> pray that <laughs> I don't get malaria. Um, I, I hope I don't. We we'll see. Um, but. Yeah, it, it was it was a lot of different things. So we, uh, like I mentioned, these people, they were so happy to have the the lights because now they can see the snakes and scorpions. Did I, you see any? I, I saw a snake. I saw one. What they told me was a green mamba, um, which I have been told is a very poisonous snake. So how close was it to you? It was outside of the car I was driving. <laughs> oh, okay. So we were. Did we, someone tell you something about snakes? Yes, yes. We. Because. It was actually the the next day. So I saw the green mamba. Um, I believe it was on a Tuesday, and then on Wednesday we were driving back from the camp, and it was nighttime. The the AC had quit in the vehicle we were riding in, um, and so I had my window down just to 
get some fresh air and and the the roads to the camp they're they're not like roads you would find here in Canada they are well when rainy season comes the the road kind of ceases to be a road it's it's more of an obstacle course um the raining season had just ended in Uganda when I was there so the roads they there was potholes bigger than most cars here in Canada so do they are of, they still classified as potholes at that point um, <laughs> like, craters maybe <laughs> <laughs> mini grand canyons it was yeah there there was you never drive in a straight line in in Uganda, is what I found. Is, Gravel is your friend. Yeah, yeah. Like, like there there are a lot of nice paved roads in Uganda, but where our projects are, the the roads are not paved. They wash away in the rain, and so there's a lot of back and forth driving. But I so I had my windows down, and um, we there was a few times where we would go off to the side of the road to get around a, a large pothole or or a large crevice that had appeared in the road and and so we would we would brush into the growth on the side of the road the trees or the bushes or whatever was there and my driver told me I needed to roll up my window and I'm like it's so hot like why why would I want to roll up my window and and then he told me that uh, when we get too close to the the trees on the side of the road snakes can jump into the car <laughs> and I'm like, well, is is that a a, a big issue here? Because I'm I'm used to like garter snakes and and milk snakes and and black rat snakes and 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 these snakes that like I've been bit by a snake before here in Canada and it just it just hung on my thumb and then I flicked it off like it wasn't a big deal. When I asked them like what what snakes are poisonous, which snakes are not poisonous here, and they they said which there are no such thing as non poisonous snakes. <laughs> they're all poisonous. Yeah, and so, they're leaping into your car. Yeah, so, so I don't I don't know if this is actually a thing, but this is what my driver told me, and then he was telling me telling us stories after this about um, how he knew people who had been driving with their windows down and snakes were in their cars. So oh. I. Uh, I rolled up my window and decided that it was better to sweat than to die. And yet he says he would love to go back. I would. That's amazing. Yeah. Uganda was amazing because I like it, it's, it's a beautiful country. Mm-hmm. Uganda is a beautiful country. It's much bigger than like, you know, and you see the map like Canada looks so big. Uganda looks so small, but it's it's a very it's it's a large country. It's a very mm. large country, and what surprised me most is how sparsely populated it is. Mm. Uh, um, I had been to Rwanda before, where it seemed like every corner there was another house or another town or another village or another city, um, and then I got to Uganda, and there were stretches where I felt like we didn't pass a single home mm. for an hour. Mm. Um, so it it makes sense why the Uganda government is able to give away so much land, but it. It's also, I grew up in the country, so I like that seclusion. Um, and it also gave me the opportunity. We were uh, driving on the way up, and we came around the corner, and right next to the to the road was an, an elephant just mm-hmm. just standing there, minding his own business. So pulled over, took some pictures of it, and continued and on the Did you go way. to the Nile as well? Uh, we crossed the Nile. It was actually near the Nile. Um, there's a town there called Pakwash, um, and it was um, just on the... Other side of the Nile River is where we saw the elephant, which I looked on the map and it's uh, part of Murchison Falls National Park. So I guess it makes sense that it would be in a national park. 
on the way back in the same spot we saw two hippos so that was that was pretty cool um yeah so we crossed the white nile um as well as the victoria nile but anita our program our emergency programs director she she corrected me and said there is no white nile there is no victoria nile there is no blue nile it's all the nile the nile yeah so i crossed the nile yeah yeah i didn't go in the nile but i crossed the (laughs) nile it's funny you don't usually think of or associate the Nile with Uganda, mm-hmm. more Egypt and, and uh, maybe yes. Sudan. But I, I think Uganda takes pride in the fact that they see themselves as the headwaters of the mm-hmm. Nile. So yeah. that all all rivers of the Nile flow through Uganda and then continue on into Sudan and, and then eventually Egypt and the Mediterranean. Yeah. So Wasn't it Livingston that was searching for the source of the, or the head of the... Yeah, and so mm-hmm. I actually saw a number of um, schools named Livingston mm-hmm. and, and what. So, of course, while I'm driving on my 14-hour drives, I'm also Googling David Livingston just to see if I can figure out if I'm, like, tracing his footsteps. Or so you whatever. can get on Google in Uganda. I could, while yes. You're I had the 3G most of, most of the drive up. Oh, um, there you go. In the, in the town that we were in, we had, well, the, it said E, so I think that means extended. But um, I was able to make FaceTime calls home. I couldn't send an email. I couldn't send an iMessage. I couldn't load a web page, but I could have a crystal clear FaceTime conversation with my wife and daughters for an hour. So it's cool. Yeah. I heard something from Charles, who is the country director of Adri Uganda, who's from Canada. Yes. Maybe just tell us a little bit about Charles. Charles Aguilar? Yeah. Uh, Charles Aguilar, um, people from BC uh, will most likely know Charles or have at least heard of Charles. Uh, So he was a pastor in, in BC. I believe he was up in Terrace up in uh, northern BC for a while um, and then he was working as communications at the BC conference and was it about a year ago he took the call to go to Uganda as the country director of Adra Uganda and um, he's loving it there I was talking to him and it's it's his new home and uh, his family seems to be really enjoying it so you can read about their experiences in the messenger yeah so Charles, Charles was telling me, and, and he was showing me pictures. It was uh, the day that I was there. He, he had went to a different part of the camp, so I didn't get to see this. I wish I had, but um, Adra had, as I mentioned, they were giving out solar lamps to, to different people in the communities. And, and they're handheld lamps. They have a green top, and they have the Adra logo as well as uh, Canada. It says Canada because it's a Canadian project. But there's another organization that is also giving out lamps um, that are very similar. They look they look mm-hmm. almost the same, but they have a blue top instead of a green one. So the address color is green. Um, and so they have a blue top. And um, and then their logo, the, the other organization's logo. And when Charles, he saw one, um, and the people in this community, all of, all of their, their blue logo lamps they had they had taken marker and scribbled out the logo and wrote adra yeah. and when he asked when he when he asked why why they did that uh, they told him that because they love adra they oh, love okay. adra way more than this other organization so that was that well was that's nice cool. to hear yeah. yeah so kind of gives us some some affirmation i guess mm-hmm. so. so what did you eat while you were there um i'm vegetarian and that's not a very easy thing to be in Uganda. They like to eat a lot of uh, a lot of chicken, a lot of lamb, or a sheep, or a goat, or mm. I don't know. I'm a vegetarian, so I wasn't eating it. Um, <laughs> and fish. These? Yeah, there was a few times where like the the option was like an actual fish with like its eyeballs still in it. I'm not into that. I, <laughs> I people that eat it, that's good for them. I don't. 
So I had rice and beans and okay. posho. Yeah. Which, and which? Posho. Posho, what's that? Uh, posho, it's, uh, from what I understand, it's maize flour or sorghum flour mm. that is just put into boiling water. And then it hardens into this bread-like substance. Okay. It it has not much flavor, but it's not bad. It's filling. Mm-hmm. I didn't mind it. Um, and I can get used to rice and beans. It's... I never went hungry. Good, good. Um, and then I was also told that it's tradition in Uganda that when you eat, you have to eat everything on your plate. And their rice and bean portions are so big. <laughs> so big. I I was very full at the end of every meal. I'll put yeah, it that way. Yeah. So, All right, Michael. Well, thank you for being our guest. Yeah, today. no problem. <laughs> uh, great to have someone right on our own team to launch our program. Yeah. Something that we want to do every time we have a podcast is to talk about the life of a typical ADRA worker. We've got some questions here that we want to ask our guests when they come onto the podcast, and uh, you can choose which one you want to deal with. We want to talk to people about what it was like for them emotionally the first time that they encountered poverty, Um, or perhaps you want to talk about your most bizarre travel experience. favorite place that you've traveled to? That's the question I get asked a lot. What's your favorite country? Which one do you want to tackle? As as our guest today, what would you like to... There's one more too, your Adra passion. So what drives you to go to these places and work 14, 15 hour days? That's a good... uh, They're all good questions. I don't know. You guys pick one. You want us to pick. I'd like to hear from you about why you decided to work for ADRA. You were working for somebody else before ADRA, coming to ADRA. What made you decide that ADRA was the organization that you wanted to work for? Well, how much time do we have? Because that's a long story. (laughs) (laughs) I can do the abbreviated version. Um, I had grown up knowing about ADRA. Um, I grew up in the Adventist church, and so I I distinctly remember doing in-gathering every Christmas time, going door to door, telling people about the Adventist Development and Relief Agency, um, not Adventist Disaster. No, actually, I, I distinctly remember going door to door and telling people about the Adventist Disaster yes. Relief Agency. Yes. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of like one of those things that uh, when did they change the name? When did they become the Adventist <laughs> Development and Relief Agency? Yeah, so um, I, I distinctly remember going door to door and and telling people raising funds for ADRA. Um, and so ADRA was always something that was in my mind. But it was always so far off, so far off in my mind. It wasn't something that I really connected to. Um, I thought it was cool. I always thought it was really cool hearing these stories and and seeing the things and and seeing the videos and pictures probably that you produced, Frank, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Like I said, the one and the only. (laughs) Yeah, so... um, yeah, so that was kind of the the base, I think, of of my my ADRA experience. Um, And then in high school, my mom signed me up for a mission trip mm. without my consent <laughs> um so it was it was sort of a surprise it was the summer going into my grade 12 year and she said oh by the way in march you're going to india india yeah <laughs> wow. so i had never been outside of north america quite the like, introduction for me for me a big trip was going to florida Ooh. so it was uh a bit of a, a bit of a shock to find out that oh I'm going on an airplane for the first time to the other side of the world mm-hmm. to to a country that is known for its very unique culture very unique mm-hmm. style of everything um, and so I didn't know anything about India I knew Indian people I, I had met Indians um, but I didn't know anything about India 
I knew they like curry. Mm. <laughs> so that was pretty much the extent of what I knew about India. And so I got on a plane and next thing I know I'm in India and, and being punched in the face with culture shock. Mm. Um, it was it was a very eye-opening experience that uh, this one i could probably tie into like my first experience with poverty um mm. i i didn't know poverty i knew people that didn't have a lot of money i i'm not discounting the the struggles of people here in canada but it was a very different experience mm. um like but i was i was 18 at the time and it was it was a very very eye-opening experience for me mm. i i suddenly realized that there was more to the world than the eastern seaboard of Canada and the United States. There was there was much more out there. And it, it really changed my direction in life. I had all these plans of just being an office worker or whatever. Um, and, and suddenly I wanted to go to school for whatever. I, I didn't care. I wanted to go to school because I wanted to go overseas and help mm-hmm. in whatever way that was. I didn't know. I just, I wanted to, so I tried my hand at, at education. I found out I was a horrible teacher when I did my practicum, but you know, these are things. And then the opportunity arose for me at Berman University to take international studies. And, and I jumped into that and um, I was so excited. And, and part of that was again, travel. So I was able to go to Nicaragua. Um, I spent six weeks in Nicaragua um, with ADRA, mm-hmm. uh, constructing a office and uh, housing for a school. And, um, and that was another eye-opening experience because then that was my, that was my first experience with ADRA. Yeah. That was the first time that I had ever actually been involved in a more tangible way with ADRA. Um, so I was able to spend six weeks there just living the ADRA life, living the, the life, uh, that I had never dreamed of growing up. I knew I wanted to work for ADRA after my experience in Nicaragua, ADRA is where I needed to work. It wasn't an option. It wasn't an ifs, ands, or buts. I was working for ADRA. Mm. Um, and so my wife and I, after I graduated, we moved back to Toronto one, uh, so she could, uh, try and go back to school. Um, also to be closer to family cause we both grew up in this area. Um, but then because I knew Adra was from Oshawa and if I was in Toronto, I was close to, to Adra. Wow. Um, so we moved back to Toronto with this goal in mind that I would work for Adra and we got back to Toronto and Adra wasn't hiring at the time. And so I got a job in downtown Toronto for a, uh, a investment firm slash real estate agency. I was their office manager and I hated it. <laughs> I really hated it. And I was just like, I want something else. I had a quarter life crisis. We'll put it that way. <laughs> I don't think I've heard this. I had I heard a quarter life crisis. I remember... Uh, shortly after my wife told me we were having kids, I was excited. Don't get me wrong. I, I was excited about having a, a, a child, but suddenly it hit me that I was working a job that I hated. I was surrounded in people that just didn't feel the same way I did about helping. I didn't want to raise my child in that environment. I didn't want them to to see me just going to work to make a paycheck. And so I, I was crying, like literally sobbing that I couldn't do this. Like I can't be a father and hate my job at the same time. And my wife, I I praise God every day for my wife because she she is the best. She knew I wanted to work for Adra. And so she said, why don't you go on Adra's website and see if they have anything? And I'm like, ah, no, they're not going to hire me. I just, I don't have any experience, blah, 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 excuse, 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 excuse. And then finally she convinced me. I went on the website and they had an opportunity available. And so I threw my application and next thing I know, I'm working at Adra. Wow. I've been here for four years now and I love it. So it was, yeah, I, 
uh, many, many different events in my life led to me working at Adra, but uh, definitely my wife. I wouldn't be at Adra if it wasn't for her. So Adriana, if you're listening to this, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> and Adra thanks you. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, that's that's kind of my, well, that's the abridged version. Mm. Okay. Um, I think even that was kind of long, actually. So apologies. Well, that music tells us that it is time for our question and answer period. On each podcast, we are going to answer one question that uh, comes in from our listeners. We want you to send in questions that you might have about ADRA and the work that we do, why we do the work that we do, how we do the work that we do, questions like that. So send us your questions and the ones that we choose to talk about on this segment of the podcast We'll receive as our gift a book that we have recently produced here called Faith to Change the World. It's the story of the life of John Howard, the founder of ADRA Canada, and how he eventually came to start ADRA Canada, and the many thrilling stories of those early days of ADRA. So get your questions in to us. You can email them to us at uh, stayintouch, that's all one word, all lowercase, stayintouch at adra.ca. You can uh, put in the subject line there maybe something like question for podcasts so that we'll be sure to get it. And if we read your question on the podcast, we will send you the book as our gift. Now, as we get started uh, in recording some of these very first podcasts while we're waiting for your questions to come in, I think what we'll do is just uh, pick a question that we're often asked when we're out visiting uh, across Canada at the different uh, supporting churches of ADRA Canada. Often we'll do a presentation and then have a question and answer period and uh, people will ask us questions. And one of the questions that we're asked a lot when we do that, um, something that people think about a lot, I think, when they start to uh, give to charities and aid agencies like ADRA, they want to know how much of my donation is actually going to help the people and how much has to stay here in Canada to cover the administration costs of the office and the expenses at the office at ADRA Canada? They say, you know, I've, I've heard that some organizations keep as much as 80% of, my, of the donation and only 20%, you know, goes out to the field. And so they want to know what is it like at ADRA? What percentage has to stay uh, to cover the administrative costs at ADRA? How much of my money is actually going to go out to help the people? So I wonder who would who would like to uh, tackle that question. I think Heather should answer this one because I've done enough talking already, and I think people are getting tired of hearing me. Well, for me, and this is not like the official Adra answer, so to speak, but this is how it works out in my mind. When I give to Adra, I know that a certain percentage of that is going to what we call overhead costs for the office here in Canada, and then the rest of it goes to the field. But in my mind, that means 100% of my donation goes to getting the work done. Because if there was no office in Canada, if there were no expert workers in the office in Canada, then the work that I'm hoping to accomplish overseas would not be getting done. Mm. So for me, they go together. And I know a lot of people, like there's this great debate over overhead and you know you want to choose organizations that have the lowest overhead possible. And I can understand that. 
But when you understand also what that overhead is actually covering and what it's enabling to happen, it's enabling quality work, sustainable work. It's enabling people who have their master's degrees, their PhDs, highly educated expert people to do highly educated and expert work Mm -hmm. in places and with people that need it the most. Mm -hmm. And nothing in this world is free. And I'm not, we're by no means rolling in the dough here in Adra, but you know, Adra workers have families, they have debts, they have school loans, and so a salary is important. And, um, you know, then you have costs like bank transfers, you have costs like tech, we need computers, we need internet, we need email to do the work that we do. So for me, all of that is 100% of my donation going to getting the work done. Mm -hmm. And here at Adra Canada, we work super hard to be as efficient as possible to keep the overhead down because we also don't want money to be bogged down in here in Canada when it could be going much further in the field. But we can't get away from the fact that there is going to be overhead. And you can go on the CRA website and they have a, a charitable page there and you can search any registered charity in Canada and uh, you can find out what their overhead was for the last fiscal year or the last taxable year, whatever they call that. Mm-hmm. Um, and last I looked, our overhead, which counts administration and fundraising combined, is 8%. 8%. Yeah. Which means that 92% of your donation is going directly to the field. But it is my hope and prayer that people will understand that really 100% of your donation is going to getting the work done and getting quality work done, work that will change lives, that will continue to be improved, even if ADRA has to leave that area. One of the things that I really like about ADRA Canada is the fact that my donation, when I give to ADRA Canada, actually grows Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. of our partnerships with other organizations. In fact, that's one of the reasons why it's, Great, we talked about it earlier in our introduction to ADRA about having these offices established and the infrastructure in all of these countries. A lot of our uh, friends in Canada, like other churches or the Canadian Food Grains Bank, when they hear about people suffering, they want to help. People in other churches, they want to give, but their church may not have an office established in Myanmar or Rwanda. And so we are able to partner with these other churches, these other organizations. And so the money that I give to ADRA Canada is actually matched. And when we say matched, we often think of a one-to-one match. But it's actually much better than that. Mm -hmm. I don't know how they do it. The people upstairs in our office are just amazing at the work that they do and, and the programs that they are able to get funding for and get matches for. But sometimes it's three to one, five to one even. And when you add in the government-sponsored uh, programs or the government-co-funded uh, programs, it even grows greater than that. Mm-hmm. So when I give $1,000 <laughs> to ADRA, that money really grows to be like $5,000 Yeah, yes. You know, to uh, help people in need. So it's a wonderful way to actually give more than you're actually giving mm-hmm. uh, when you give to ADRA Canada. All right. Well, that does it for our time here today. Thank you for joining us at the Adra Canada podcast today. And if you enjoyed our stories, we ask that you will share it with your friends and uh, get the word out about Adra Canada.
And if you'd like to see some of the uh, photographs that illustrate uh, Michael's adventure over in Uganda. There's dancing. There is dancing, yes. <laughs> we'll put those up on a, a webpage uh, at adra.ca. Go and check it out. And there'll be a menu item there called podcast. Just click on that and episode one. And please don't criticize my dancing. I, I would really appreciate that. Fan mail is welcome. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, All right, guys. Thank you. This was fun. Looking forward to more. <laughs>